You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk. This podcast is sponsored by the fabulous Tuk-Tuk UK, the UK's largest importer of Tuk-Tuks. If you want a Tuk-Tuk or anything Tuk-Tuk related, Tuk-Tuk UK is the company to speak to. They love talking Tuk-Tuks as much as I do. Hello and welcome to the show. This week I talked to Neil Lawson. Neil works in the low carbon farming industry with his company GI Energy. They design and install green powered greenhouses to solve serious national issues of food security and agricultural reliance on fossil fuels. But through his life, Neil's other passion is overlanding. I got to know him through my adventures in a tuk-tuk. In 1978, when he was 18, he and a mate hitchhiked across the Sahara Desert, starting in Morocco and making their way through Algeria and Niger to Ghana. In 2000, he and his wife set off on an 18-month epic journey from the UK to Cape Town in Bumble, their converted Land Rover. And more recently, he cycled across Mongolia on a bike, in Tweed no less. Nothing odd about that. But let's go back to 1988. Neil was 18 and his gap year lay ahead. I sense you're eager to get back out there. That's the first thing I, I sense from you. You'd, you'd like to adventure soon. Is that uh, true? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So let's... What is the next one? I don't know. Oh, there's always, there's always the next one. It's just, it's just a, a thought process, isn't it? And, uh, and uh, to, yeah. just to get out there. Um, so let's talk about hitchhiking across the Sahara now. That okay. is a big place, the Sahara. 11 countries, as big as China. Where did you start? Where did you go? Well, the, I was 18, had left school. Um, all my mates were going down to Australia on their year off before university. Yep. Um, I had stayed in England. Actually, I'd, I'd gone to university in France for a bit to do French. Yeah. I was then working in London with another friend who'd stayed behind. We were sat in the pub one day saying, oh, we can't go to Australia, everyone else has gone there, what should we do? And this mad idea, well, let's hitchhike across the Sahara, which we did. And I think it probably took us about four weeks to come up with a plan, which yeah. was to stick your thumb out. Yeah. Um, we actually wanted to skip Europe, so we took the train down through Europe. I was, my parents were living in France at the time, so dropped okay. off there on the way to say yeah. hello, goodbye. Yeah. My mother um, lived and spent a number of her formative years in Ghana. So there's already a bit of an introduction. I think most parents would be horrified if their 18-year-old son said, I'm going to hitchhike across the Sahara. Yes, I think they My would. mother was very much, I'd like to come too. Because <laughs> her recollection was uh, jumping in the pickup in Ghana and driving up to Timbuktu for a picnic. Okay. Which you could do in those days. Anyway, we, yep. we, were, we took the train down through Europe. In Spain, we were on a sleeper train. The police stepped on slightly before Madrid station. I was strip searched on the train. I was arrested and dragged off into the police station in handcuffs right. with a, a group of uh, North Africans. And uh, as I went, the friend I was going with, I said, please just ring up the embassy and they'll sort it out. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I was in there. I had been, as I said, strip searched, so intimately searched for hidden drugs and things like that. 
a phone call came in from the British Embassy, said, I've spoken to the police. They don't know why they've arrested you. Arrested you. They've agreed to let you go. I said, but why? Surely this is wrong. And he said, this is Spain. I suggest you go. Yeah. So walked out. Unfortunately, my luggage was still on the train and the train had disappeared. Oh, dear. So uh, that had to be found. Uh, it had been ransacked. There wasn't a lot of value in there. Mm. But I'd lost my camera and things like that. Mm. Anyway, that was uh, an introduction as to the civilized part of Europe. Yeah. What was Africa really going to be like? Yeah. So we crossed um, over to Ceuta, Tangier, yes. uh, over from um, Algeciras, was it? Into Ceuta. Um, which is where the real sort of hitchhiking stuff started. Mm. Uh, got pulled into uh, into real Morocco. Yeah. The, uh, the market sellers. Yes. The, the one pound a night hotels and things like that got yeah. ripped off a couple of flying carpets. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> um, then uh, started off probably best to get an atlas really because the route we did doesn't exist anymore because Algeria is shut down yes you cannot go that way now can you, you can't go left no which is, and one thing I always said was I would love to do that um, do Africa under my own steam yeah which is what inspired the 2000 trip yeah so just having a quick look at a map here so you were 18 in I'm gonna I'm gonna guess here I could I could go this could, this could go horribly wrong so sort of 19. 80 80 um, 85 86 86 okay it was January 86 right so looking at the so um, in those days it was a uh, rough guide yes. or lonely planet yeah so I can't remember which one I had but we ended up going to we, we, we didn't do Morocco proper right we stayed in the north coast we couldn't really travel around we were reliant on on hitchhiking rides. Yeah. We went to um, Chefchaouen in Land of Bet. Yeah. And then we were heading for the Morocco crossing, which was, sorry, the um, Algeria crossing, Oujda. Yeah. Uh, we got there, and there was, in those days, um, money was an issue. Um, it was all, I think, Algerian money was, um, they had government fixed exchange rates. Okay. which was about half of the actual exchange rate. Right. So we, we did a thing at the border where we did some um, black market money. Yeah. Uh, we had to hide it on our person. In right. those days, it was uh, film cases, if you remember the old roll yeah. of film yeah. in a case. So we took one of those apart and stuffed a whole lot of notes inside it and okay. put that back in our luggage. Oh, Quite exciting. pleased with ourselves there. Yeah. Then um, headed across the border. And on the other side, I think it was um, it was a bus that we opted to take there. And again, those days you couldn't book anything, yeah. so it was a case of queuing up at this little window in a hall in a, in a wall, yeah. along with everyone else being British. We both queued nicely, but yes. the others didn't. Yeah. So we lost our tickets. Right. The next day we had to return again. Right. This time we had to knew we had to fight our way to the front, uh, which we did. Uh, got our tickets, but I can't remember where we were heading after that. So ultimately, we were going down to Taman Rasset, which was the, the sort of the Algeria crossing of the Sahara. Okay. And um, is that with Libya? No, 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 no. Heading south, heading oh, south heading to south. Niger. Okay. Right. Okay. 
So um, from Ujda, we headed south to uh, Figig, mm. which was another crossing. From there to Beshar. And at this point, we were starting to, it was the thumb out, get a lift in the back of um, a pickup. Yeah. And I, I had this great image in my mind, because sadly, the camera got stolen, yeah. of the two of us sat in the back of a pickup with two goats. Yeah. Being driven across the desert on, on a, I suppose, a fairly rough road, a graded road. Yes. Uh, and this, the driver just took a left and disappeared off five miles into the desert. And we were both looking at each other thinking, uh, help, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Is he going to dump us in the middle of the desert and nick all our um, baggage? Yeah. But actually, he took us to his home. And it was the most amazing evening, sitting there under the stars yeah. with a, a, an Algerian and his family, incredible hospitality, um, him playing the guitar mm. and just sleeping out under the stars. Next day, we were given a lift back to the road again, yeah. where we were dropped off, and we just sat with our thumbs out. Waiting for the next pickup. And, and that was for the next pickup. Yeah. But it is, it, it's cult there that you look after fellow travellers. Yeah. So there is no particular concern. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we picked up the next lift, um, again, heading further south. This is probably a journey that by car you could drive in a day or two. Yeah. For us, I think it took about a month um, with our various hitchhiking and things. So the main, um, mainly pickups? Well, uh, yes, I would say pickups, some public buses. Yeah. When we got to, again, Adra was another major town. And we were looking for um, there's a crossroads that we were dropped off at which we were a bit concerned about because traffic by now was getting a bit light. And um, there was effectively a water tank, which is a watering hole. Okay. So we ended up at this crossroads for probably 24 hours. Yeah, waiting. Um, no food, no shop, no nothing, just a watering hole. Yeah. Just wondering what was going to happen. Um, we then got a lift on um, a big truck, modern truck, which was full of dried peas. And because we were starving, I remember putting these peas in the water bottle, trying to hydrate them again so we could have something to actually eat. Uh, it didn't really work. No. Uh, from there, we headed into a, um, a place called Insala, which was uh, another fairly big sort of market town on a junction. Um, from there, Insala, heading south, we... Um, picked up there were a couple of um, large Mercedes trucks mm. um, we got a lift on the back of those and then they parked up at night and we were offered the opportunity to uh, bunk with the, uh, which which was all time members banging on the door at two o'clock in the morning where my uh, friend had woken up and the uh, Algerian truck driver was running his hands through the hairs on his chest <laughs> and, uh, he panicked got out and said we've got to leave this we can't carry on with this no. so no, that, um, we left that lift behind I'm not surprised uh, uh, yes yes that was definitely a wise choice yeah and there um, we headed down to uh, Taman Rasset which is the sort of the, the centre of the, the deep south of uh, Algeria and the entrance to the last bit, which is the crossing over to uh, Inquizem, which is effectively the border with um, Niger. Okay. 
and for that bit you you're not allowed it's quite controlled military wise um there was activity going on in that area even in those days yeah uh, so we had to take an official bus and here we were again queuing up at a door for a couple of days missed a couple of buses uh eventually got onto a bus and then headed into the true proper sahara the hogar mountains okay and a, a recollection of that part of the route was um there's a stone there and tradition is for good luck for the traveler yeah you need to um uh, drive around this stone three times before you continue yeah that, that was um, an oversized minibus with however many people 30 people in it yeah and that that got us down to the border town of um in Guizem, yeah which is the border with uh niger so it's quite a central route down through africa isn't it really yeah it was so in, in that time there were a lot of um french who would buy a the old peugeot 504s yeah so with three rows of seats and they were known as the desert taxis okay. they'd buy them in france they would drive them down into west africa and sell them and then fly back yeah and that was and actually there's a film i saw recently a french film called 4l okay. which revisits that where people were buy, were um, buying renault 4ls yeah driving them down through morocco mauritania selling them into, into that part of the world yeah i have a story where we went to morocco last year and my first car was a Renault 12, given to me by, by my father. And the next time I saw a Renault 12 was in Morocco, because there were bloody hundreds of them. You know, that's where they, that's where they go to die, or to have another it life. It was quite amazing but, uh, seeing all these Renault 12s. Another life, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Renault 12s, Renault 4Ls, Renault 504s. Yeah. For some reason, they love them there. Yeah. So for, from the the Niger border, I mean, these, these are dusty old towns. Mm. Uh, we ended up, um, and from memory, we got to Agadez, which is the capital. Mm. My memories of Agadez are they had a zoo, yeah, which probably had a, a few emaciated animals in it. Yeah. Hiring a bicycle where the tires were just tied together bits of rubber not, oh. not pneumatic at all oh and the old pool rod breaks and things yeah. like that oh, that's, that's not, very um, not very modern at all no. not very modern but but great for that part of the world yeah. relatively bulletproof yeah um we then did a deal with a, a i think they were either italian or swiss puppeteers right. who had a coach and the coach was converted into um three um, sleeping sections and they had space for a couple more of us. So we hitched with them for probably two, three days mm. to see us down to the... Um, we wanted to avoid Nigeria. Okay. And we were heading towards Benin. Right. So we, we hitched from Agadez down to Niamey, picked up visas there, and then picked... Uh, and again, I think at this point, we were back onto the public transport and took a, a train mm. and that was a, a, an experience a third world train was mm. third class ticket mm. sitting on again um i think they were like sacks of um, cotton or something like that okay on this train yeah. with hundreds of other people on the roof hanging off the doors yeah sort of images you see in india yes. and the train would stop every now and again in the middle of nowhere and there would be effectively an impromptu market where the locals would, would pop up selling food and water and things like that. Yeah. And then you'd, uh, the, the, the horn would go and you hop back on the train. 
and you head uh, head off. So from Benin, we headed um, down to the coast to Porto Novo, where we stayed for a few days, and then hitched various rides with people over into Togo. Yeah. And stayed in the capital of Togo. Um, and we actually, again, we were heading in the Lonely Planet guide, heading for the lodge where most people go. And some guide picked us up and said, "Oh, I can offer you a cheaper place and stay with us." Yeah. And and he had a, a concrete or, or, or a, yeah, a concrete house, a door but no particular window. Right. Left our stuff there, slept on the floor on a mattress. Um, went out and around and about. By this time, we'd very much run out of money. Yeah, I had had a, um, a Sony Walkman in those days. Yes. cassette player. Yes, had my twelve cassettes with me. Yes, and I had rather than having double A batteries, I got the D cell batteries. I had soldered them together, right. wrapped them around with tape, and had two wires sticking off them. Okay, and I was picked up regularly in customs because this looked like some stick of dynamite or something. <laughs> That's your physics. And a couple of the other things, physics, yeah. So something else coming in. I remember crossing, and it was probably one of the Benin or Togo borders, and uh, I had some rugby shirts in there and uh, old rugby socks, and the customs saying stripes are illegal in this country, confiscating all of my clothes that they fancy. Jesus. And you can't do a lot of customs in those days because they are king. Yes, yes. Uh, So they pretty much help themselves to the luggage. Did you have to get visas at each stop, right? at, the, at the overland borders? Is that where you picked up the visas to overland? No, I think we had arranged, again, we're going back 30 years now. So we had arranged um, a couple of visas before leaving the UK. Yeah. And I think the Benin and Togo ones we had to get um, in the capital of Niger. Okay. Yeah. Hence the reason for going there. Hmm. Um, so by the time we got to Togo, we had yeah we basically ran out of money. Okay. Um, trying to live like the locals and live off what the locals eat. Yeah. Is relatively cheap. Um, so I was trying to sell a Walkman locally, which is an attractive thing down there. Yes, definitely. Just to get some money for food. Yeah. Selling other bits and pieces to uh, sort out an airline ticket to get home. You were, you were tr- and it was in Lome that I, uh, oh no, 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 further north, I contracted dysentery. Right. And uh, from local foods. I think that was up in Niger. And um, we had found a French Foreign Legion doctor. Right. And he prescribed Perno, three shots of Perno a day. Nice. Is that, is that, I, I'm going to kill anything in your stomach <laughs> and it worked. Have, have you tried it since? Um, it was never a drink before. No. It wasn't one of my tipples before. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, a, a pastis. I think I've had a few in France. Yes. Ricard, as they call it as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's good to keep in there just in case, isn't it? You know, just to. Never well, it does. I do associate it with that aniseed taste with yeah. medicine. Yes, it's, it's not. It's not so, my favourite. No. No, no, no. I think perno for me is for medicinal purposes. Yes. Rather than recreational. Yeah, just dysentery. Yeah, which, we, which hopefully we yeah. won't, won't. It's not something you want to get too often, is it? Let's be honest. Um, no, exactly. So, uh, the, so from... the stars in the desert. When you look up, you said you were just looking at the stars. Are they? as mesmerizing as people say 
Yeah. Absolutely. The, 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 um, we, unfortunately, in this country have a huge amount of light pollution. Yeah. And you don't see the stars. But when you're out in a black desert, the sky is incredibly bright. Yeah. And a lot of the, the um, seasoned desert drivers, you know, the, the trucks that carry cargo and things, mm. actually don't use their lights at night. Mm. Oh, it's that bright. Drive by the stars. Right, okay. It's incredible. And you're, isn't it? It, yeah, it is. There is so much up there. Yeah. And I have quite an affinity for the desert these days. We visit it where possible. We were back in Morocco a couple of years ago with family. And um, at the end of our longer Africa travels, lived in Namibia for a while. Oh, okay. Which is um, said to be the oldest desert in the world. Right, okay. Um, it's. Is it something you look back on f with absolute fondness? You, you know, you do you wish you'd gone to Australia, or is or was that uh, adventure m stayed with you and and was something you really felt that was the right thing? Yeah, to do? I don't. I don't. Going to Australia and working in a bar and drinking with friends, you know, you can do that in London. Why do you have to go to Australia to do that? That's true. Yes. Um, getting out there and um, it was a. It was a real growing up experience at the age of 18, yeah. um, being thrust into Morocco, having to fend for yourself. Yes. You know, you're spoiled at home, you get your food handed to you. Yes. Now you've actually got to go out and find it yourself. Yes. So all, all the little things of you know, one of us, would, in those days, you, uh, you pay for hotels by the person, not by the room. Right. So one of us would book a room, the other one would climb through the window. I remember yeah. getting caught doing that and having an <laughs> argument about being charged twice. <laughs> Sleeping um, under trucks in a town, yeah. a shelter, and then being petrified that the truck was going to drive away in the middle of the night. I can imagine that, yes. Um, it's, it's basically Sleeping it's what... out under the stars. There's a certain... The, the, um, the deserts are quite sanitised because uh, the lack of rain and vegetation and things like that. So you can just put your head down. Yeah. In those days, quite oblivious to the scorpions and the snakes and things like that. Yeah, that was good. I was, that did cross my mind just then, scorpions in the desert. Uh, but basically just wild camping at the end of the day. That's, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? And wild... Yes. And it, and it is... Um, in fact, we were there in January. So when we crossed from Algeria into Morocco, I remember snow. Sorry, the other way around from Morocco and Algeria is snowing yeah. in the Sahara. Yeah, and that was quite surreal. I think it's uh, what is it? The uh, I think there's only I did I looked it up and there's like one inch of rainfall in the year. I think in the Sahara, and it's like minus six to plus forty or something. That's that's the temperature range in the Sahara. You know, it's just a massive, it's just a massive space, isn't it? And it's high as well. It it is, yeah, and, and we don't appreciate that in this country because we're surrounded. We're an island surrounded by sea. Yeah. Um, when you look at somewhere like uh, in the, the deserts in Botswana are a thousand meters high. Yes. Which is far higher than anything we've got here. Yeah, and we look at somewhere like the Hogar Mountains. I, I desperately want to go back. They they are beautiful. They need to be explored. The desert there is is your archetypal desert. Right, um, and there are oases and things like that. Um, but sadly, you've got the security issues in the south. Timbuktu has yes. been taken over by um, ISIS. Okay. Uh, and they seem to. There's a trade route from that sort of Timbuktu or the Atlantic coast that goes straight across through um, Algeria, Libya, Morocco, um, Egypt. Yes. Into the Middle East. 
and that's why they've shut the deserts down in Egypt. Because yes. I think it was a, a number of years ago, there were a bunch of tourists in the desert in, um, I think they were Swiss tourists okay. in land cruisers. The yeah. Egyptian military mistook them and uh, killed them all. Oh dear, right, yes. You have to be quite careful going through Egypt, or going off-route in Egypt still, don't you? I think you can still do it uh, to a degree, especially the north. It's, uh, it's Yeah, it's no, I, I think... Uh, I think friends who lived in Egypt and explored the desert of weekends left there probably four or five years ago. Yeah. Because the, the Egyptians have shut the desert down. You can um, travel down the Nile, effectively. Yes. And um, that's a well-worn overland route, isn't it? Down the Nile, into the Sudan, and then yes. and carry on yeah. down, you know. Is well mapped out, isn't it? But you can go off piste if you want to. There is, a, and I think you can do a lot of it on tarmac these days. Yes, I think you can. Yes, yes. yes. And and I think at a push, you can do it in six weeks. In a tuk tuk, can I do it in six weeks? No, no, no. no I, I, no. I no, nine months. I, I can take nine months off. I think it will take me all of nine months. Um, well, uh, we had a plan to do nine months, and we took a year and a half. There's so much to see along the way. You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk Tuk podcast. Now available on iTunes. 2015, I cycled across the Gobi in Mongolia. Yeah. Wearing tweed for a laugh. Yes. So dressed as an English gent. Yes. And, uh, you know, there we are. The locals are taking photos of us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're there as a tourist. We should be taking photos of them. But it's quite the other way around. And what? Yeah. So that's uh, Mongolia's northern China, isn't it? So it's right. Uh, it's, it's quite high, isn't it? Mongolia? This, is it high? Yeah, it is. It is high. Yeah. So we basically uh, went into Mongolia and went along the northern steppe. Being um, cycling, completely yeah. misjudged the height. So we started our cycling. Yeah. And the first day we uh, cycled up 1,600 meters. Okay, that's high. Yeah, that's... that's uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, that was a lot to do on a bicycle. It was the altitude, because you really do need time to acclimatize, even to that you know, sort of stuff because it just takes so much more out of you as well doesn't it cycling at that sort of altitude until you acclimatize yeah. early and then it was uh, it was sort of up and down yeah uh but it, it's the vast expanse and the space you know you, you can see your dot on the horizon you yeah. think oh, i've got to cycle this now <laughs> and it seems endless and when you're doing an incline yeah you are cycling up for three four hours and, and you're, you're going for a pass on a mountain. Yes. And you know you've got there because in, uh, in Mongolia, they've got little piles of stones with okay. the um, the prayer uh, flags on there. Yes, yes, I've seen those. In the high spots. And you were camping? Yeah, everything's wild camping. We, we basically flew out of uh, London with um, a backpack, 11 kilos, which had everything we needed. Yes. Uh, busy bags, sleeping yeah. bags, cooking yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. For um, the time we were there. Okay. Okay. And how how, so how sleeping under the stars, very much so in a bivy bag. And how how long was the route? How many miles? Oh, we did uh, two hundred and fifty kilometers. Okay. Yeah, but if it's uphill a lot, it's what, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Well, up and downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Not not not, not lumpy. Should we call it lumpy? Uh, a bit more than lumpy. A bit yeah. more than lumpy. Not flat. Mountainous. Mountainous. Not flat. Mountainous. <laughs> what was the highest point? Yeah. Uh, I think it was 1,800 and something. Okay. Okay. That's, that's and that's, we got up to some hot springs. So that was uh, quite disappointing. You cycle that way and there's hot springs and a little tourist resort. Yeah. Yeah. 
call it a tourist resort. It's a, it's a, it's a concrete bath with some warm water in it. Okay, that's... But uh, had a little spa treatments next door, so it's nice to have a massage at the top of that. I can imagine. Really yes. appreciated that. Slept very well after that. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great experience to do. What, 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 what made you say, what inspired you to go and do that? What, what was the idea behind that? Well, the idea behind that was uh, one day my son called me a mammal. And I had to ask him what a mammal was. Right. He said it's a middle-aged man in light. That's right, yeah. yeah. So that inspired. And it was actually sitting at, uh, sitting at work with colleagues and discussing this. I suppose a bit of banter in the office. And there were five of us. And we were like, oh, let's, yeah, let's do something mad. Yeah. Let's do something different. Um, I, you know, my son's just called me a mammal. It's like, ah, oh, you've got to cycle somewhere in Tweed. <laughs> All right, let's do Mongolia for a laugh. And uh, six soon dwindled down to just the two of us. And yes. it was actually, it came to the day we uh, went into the uh, travel agents, booked the tickets, yeah. and off we went. And off you went. It's, 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 it's sort of, you don't want to think about it too long, do you? You've just got to sort of do it, haven't you? Anyways. Exactly. And actually, these days, if I go back to Hitchhike and Cross the Sahara, it was a guidebook, host restaurant. Yeah. Um, I didn't see, speak, or, or to anyone at home yeah. during that whole time. Yeah. Um, you queue up for three days to get a bus ticket. Um, camera was the old film cameras, and it was a radio. Yeah. I remember in Morocco, all the locals saying, "Oh, bad news about Concord." Thinking, "What? What? What would you mean? Oh, Concord's crashed." Right. Um, but it was the, um, the space shuttle oh, Apollo, yeah. which, whichever it was, yeah. exploded. Yeah, um, we, we just we were totally removed from the news and everything. Um, whereas organising the Mongolia trip, internet, everything you can see everything you're going to see right. on Google before you actually go, which is slightly takes away the sense of adventure and yes. pioneering. To the point where we had um, the whole trip was planned. We had uh, visas waiting, tickets waiting, bus tickets waiting, accommodation booked. We knew exactly where we were going, and we could uh, pack this whole adventure into effectively 18 days. So from leaving Heathrow, yeah, flying to Moscow, 24 hours in Moscow, yeah, uh, then flying to uh, Lake Baikal to All pick right. up the Trans-Siberian train or the Trans-Mongolian train, yeah, do that down into Ulaanbaatar. How many days were you on the train? Uh, I think it's it just a couple of days. Yeah, you, you can do. I think it's a 14-day trip, but 14 days on a train. Not my idea of fun these days. No. Yeah. So flying to Lake Baikal and missing the most of Siberia yeah. is fine, and then picking up for the last couple of days. Hmm. Still an adventure. Go, and then uh, and a couple of people said, "Oh, you should raise money or charity and all the rest of it," but um, wasn't that interested in doing a blog? It was such a short amount of time, yeah, and so much to pack in, so much to see. There, there wasn't a, um, a quiet moment. No, I can imagine. But that, that's just, that, that shows you the difference between organising a trip these days and what we used to do before. It's, it was previously it was analogue. Yes. Now it's digital. Do, do you think it's possible to do a trip without, uh, without a smartphone these days? Is, is, is it wise to do one without a smartphone? Do you think it would, do you is think it wise? Do you think it, enhance a it would enhance the experience or do you think people are just too scared now? Well, I look at when I did the cycling, we, we kept everything down to 11 kilos. And basically, your smartphone was your camera, mm. 
uh, your tickets, your everything mm. was in that phone. Yeah. It was a challenge trying to keep your batteries for seven days uh, yeah, I can imagine. when you're off grid effectively. Yeah. And and we used it for navigation as well. You can download the apps and use it as a GPS too. Yes. So they are incredibly useful. Yes. But at the end of the day, they are convenience. They so are. when uh, I hitchhiked across the Sahara, I think we had uh, a map 956, okay. which covered the whole of Sahara, and that was it. Right, okay, that's... And you swap books on the way, and there's no TV or news. And it was, had a, a Walkman to listen to music. And what was on the cassette? The pros and cons of hitchhiking, which was Roger Waters, was yeah. it? Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, one of his. Yeah. Uh, there was Pink Floyd, The Wall. Okay. There was a bit of ZZ Top. Okay. I can't think. No, but that's quality. I think there was... Uh... There's nothing wrong with those choices. Yeah. That's... That, that, I'm... That was enough to listen to for four four months on yeah. loop. So what was the soundtrack to Mongolia? Taking a bus from Ulaanbaatar to where the, the top of the northern steppe, Arkhangai was the area we went to. Soundtrack to that was Mongolian throat music, eight hours on a coach with a, a video playing on loop right. with Mongolian singers and, and their throat singing. Right, did that drive you insane? I keep promising myself I'm going to do a little five-minute uh, video clip with... A couple of the video clips I took, right. and also the photos. Yes. But the, the back of the soundtrack to that will be Mongolian throat music. Okay, I've, I can't say I've ever heard any of that. Do I? Do I? Do I need to search it out? Is it? Is you it, should. You should. Is it? Is it worth? It's, it's different. This show is sponsored by Waterside Calligraphy. Beautiful writing brought to life on the page. Thank you to Neil for two great adventures 30 years apart. His biggest journey is still yet to be told. In a future episode, we shall hear how he travelled from London to Cape Town in Bumble, his Series 1 Land Rover. On next Monday's show, I talk to Tom Butterworth. He bought a Bajaj from Tut Tut UK three years ago. He lives in Thlandillo in Carmarthenshire. I met up with him in August, just before the first Tut Tut rally and just after the first lockdown. So that's it. We're done for another show. Thank you for listening. I was asked the other day, why do I make this podcast? Well, that's easy. I get to meet great people with amazing stories to tell. Adventure, it's available to everyone, epic or big, small or micro. Adventures are possible every single day. See you next time for more stories of discovery and adventure. You're listening to stories of discovery and adventure from Adventures in a Tuk Tuk.